Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. And we're going to begin to look at a gospel. So let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Let's read the first couple of verses, and we're going to pray one more time. We're going to actually read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pray once more and ask God to bless our time in the Word together. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things, in which you were instructed. Let's pray again. Father, now as we turn our heart to your word, would you help us to very clearly hear you speaking to us, Lord? Would you speak in a way that you could cut through all of the, uh, uh, the, the distractions in our life, all of the things that would capture our attention and, and draw us to things where we really don't need to be and bring us right back here to the scriptures, right back to this very passage, Lord, that even in the first opening verses speaks so clearly to us as your people. And so, Lord, as always, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to come and lead us and teach us and be our instructor. And and not only that, Lord, we don't just want knowledge. We want you to take what you have here and to bury it deep in our hearts so that we could be changed, Lord, from the inside out. Lord, that's the promise you made to us, that you came to change us from within so that the outward man would live much differently. But, Lord, when we begin with the outward man and neglect the inward, it just never seems to work out. Lord, we know with a changed heart, with a a changed life from within that only you can do and the power of your spirit working in us and our obedience to him, Lord, as he applies your word to our lives. Lord, everything that we've longed for in the outward comes along with it. The change comes. And so, Lord, we ask that you do your work in us this morning, teach us from these scriptures, and help us, Lord, to live them. For it's in Jesus' name we all pray again. God's people prayed, amen. So again, let's read that again. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And so begins the Gospel of Luke. And this this book of Scripture is the companion book to the book of Acts. Luke wrote both of them. And it is the third of four books that comprise the Gospels. Now, a beginning point, and I know most of you probably know this, but you know what? Let's, it's always good to refresh ourselves. What is a gospel? What does that mean exactly? I mean, we associate it with what we're reading in our Bibles, but what is a gospel? Well, gospel simply means good news. Good news. And you know what, folks? There clearly is no greater news declared to fallen mankind to all of us than Jesus Christ and his work done on our behalf. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate source of good news. 
The, the gospel is a record of the good news that's found in him. It's the basic story of the good news found in his life, in his ministry, in his death, and in his resurrection. And in, and in his promise of what he's doing for us, even now. You know, even his very name communicates the message of good news to us. Jesus, Yahweh saves. That's what that literally means. Uh, Jesus, uh, Yahweh, um, Yeshua is the Hebrew pronunciation, Yeshua. Yahweh saves. Christ, by the way, that's not his last name, right? People think Jesus Christ. No, it's not his last name. But Christ is a title for him, and it's an Old Testament, Old Testament title referring to God's chosen servant. Now, when you put those two things together, Jesus Christ, what you literally get is God's chosen servant who is sent to save. God's chosen servant who is sent to save. And, and what ultimately makes all of this good news about this is the implication that it holds for us. It's the reality that we can find eternal life and, and a restored relationship with God because Christ lived, because Christ ministered, because Christ died, because Christ rose again and, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Even now, even while we're engaging in this Bible study, even now, receiving, mediating for, interceding for all of us who have simply believed by faith in his finished work for us upon the cross. You know, I often say, I, I find it amazing that it's, it's that he saved us. You know, all of the things we try to do on our own to save ourselves, to be right, to, to live certain ways, to do all these things, and how far short we, we always fall in doing that. And, and he reached across the heavens. He reached across time, and he touched each of our lives, and he saved us. His plan in coming to this earth the first time was to save us. But more than that, this is what blows my mind. It, that would have been enough, but he doesn't stop there. What he does is he gives us a restored relationship with God so that we can be in fellowship with him, with the Father, with the Spirit, that we can be in fellowship with God eternally. Pretty amazing stuff. In fact, this morning at the end of our study, we're going to be taking communion together, and communion is that picture of the fellowship that we now enjoy with God. You know, in the Middle East, eating a meal together is the greatest act of fellowship that can happen. You're sitting there, you're both taking in the same piece of bread, and, and it's gone into your stomachs, and, and it joins you, in a sense, in their mind. And that's what communion represents to us, and that's what Jesus has done for us. He has united us with the Father in fellowship so that we have that for eternity. Amazing stuff. But the even greater news is that what Christ offers to us is a free gift, which he offers to give us without any precondition of performance or merit on our part. You know, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, he declares this very clearly. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, I like that, even while we were dead in trespasses, even while we were still in our sin, in other words, made us alive together with Christ. Now listen, by grace you have been saved. 
and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen again in verse 8 here. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Wow, it can't be stated any plainer than it is right there. It is a gift. A gift is free. It's freely given. It's not of us. It's not anything we do. It's not the works we do. It's not how good we live. It's a free gift given to us by grace. And, and it's done that way so that we couldn't boast in ourselves, so that we couldn't say, oh, look what I've attained spiritually for myself. It's all about Christ. He's done it for us. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6 through verse 21, Paul, Paul again writes, listen, I know this is a lengthy passage, but listen to what he says. Listen to the heart of what's being said here, because I think this is so important, because so many people, I believe today, I tried to do it, try to save ourselves. We try to come up with the spiritual formula, what's going to make us acceptable to God. But listen to the reverse of what Scripture tells us. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. For when we were still without, without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, that's a mind blower, isn't it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, you know, like Paul throws those in there, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, the relationship, reconciling, being reconciled to God, he's saying. But he goes on in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now listen, verse 15 but the free gift is not like the one man. I'm sorry, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. 
Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boy, that entire passage just drips, absolutely drips with the idea of of this salvation that we have through faith in Christ is a free gift given to us. And it's not through the keeping of the law. It's not through the keeping of religious rituals. It's not through the keeping of good works. It's none of these things. Not that those things are necessarily wrong. And there are things in that, that that should mark our lives as believers. But What's given to us is given to us freely as a gift of God's grace. That salvation, that reconciliation, that justification, that fellowship that we have eternally is given as a free gift. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 sums it up very clearly and very succinctly. Romans 6:23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift, folks. It's a gift. And yet, at the same time, even though it is a gift and it is free, as with any gift offered to us, it does not become ours until we choose to receive it and we choose to open it. As John tells us in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, now there's a lot packed into that statement, because first of all, it doesn't say as many as did good works. It doesn't say as many as who lived religiously, or as many as whatever practice they did to be really moral people, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. No, he says as many as received him, him being Jesus Christ. At the same time, what he is saying is that we need to receive him. We need to willingly take the gift of salvation, which he's providing to us, that gift of fellowship that he's providing to us, and we need to receive him. We need to receive it into our lives, just like we would receive a present from someone. Also in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 8 through verse 13, it tells us this. John chapter 10, verses 8 through 13, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says it over and over and over and over and over. That reception of Christ that we must reach out and take is through that act of faith and believing in him. We believe in his finished work for us. We believe 
believe in what he did for us in the cross. We believe him when he tells us that we are sinners and we're separated from God and our sin is what separates us. And that there's nothing that you and I can do to overcome that sin, but it's his work on the cross that does it for us. And if we will simply trust in him, he will give us salvation. He will justify us. He will wash that sin completely out of our lives and make us righteous. But we need to receive that. We need to believe in him. There is no universal salvation. And, 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 and there are people out there who hold this, but what I'm just telling you today, there is no. The Bible doesn't have any concept of, of, of an idea of universal salvation for people, for all, without first placing faith in Christ alone. Although Christ died for the sins of the whole world, no question about that, and his work on the cross applies to all human beings, not just some subgroup of human beings or some select few. It's for all humanity. He died for all humanity. Ultimately, what he has done must be received by a man or a woman before it becomes effective in their lives. You know, this is something I had to learn personally as I grew up because I grew up very religious. I grew up in church. I grew up doing things of church. You know, I was a good little Lutheran kid and I was an acolyte. You know, I, I thought it was cool to wear the robes, you know, and do all those kinds of things. But I assumed I was saved because of all that stuff. And I was just assuming that, well, Jesus died for the whole world, so it's all good. But I never really placed my faith in him. In fact, I had my faith in a lot of things in life. I was serving lots of different gods, if you will, with a small g, in my life. But then one day someone explained to me what biblical salvation truly is, as the scriptures define it for us. That it is in faith in Christ alone. That it is in the belief of his finished work for me. And that was a challenge. Because I had created a spirituality of my own. I was serving a God... That was not Jesus in many ways that really looked a lot more like me than it did as him, like him. And I suddenly learned it's not about universal salvation. I wasn't just saved because he went to the cross. I had to reach out and take that free gift that he was offering to me. You know, when you think about that, the gospel truly is good news. It's good news because it's free. It's, it's, it's given to us. I mean, it's free, which, you know... Now, as we think about that good news, though, those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, we're commanded in Scripture to go and to proclaim to others. Uh, and it's really a charge from Jesus that, that Luke will give us at the end of his gospel, just as the other writers of the gospels did as well, that we're charged to go out and to present the good news to others. And, and this charge has not changed over the millennium since the, the, the message was first Given, you know, when Jesus first gave it to his disciples, it is still the message that you and I as believers are to proclaim to others. Although the church today proclaims a lot of different things to people, the gospel is to be the core message because it's the only message that will ultimately transform the lives of men and women eternally. You know, it's the first message, when you think about it, that was ever preached at the dawning of the church age. Yeah, you know, Peter got, gets up. In fact, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it's a fascinating account because at the end of this, thousands are saved. And, and remember, this is an unschooled man. This is, this is a fisherman. But listen what he preaches. This is the first message that's preached at the dawning of the church, not church as in buildings. Church very much like we are right now. 
It's not about being in a facility. It's about who we are in Christ. We are the church. But at the dawning of the church, listen what Peter says. He says in verse 14 of of Acts chapter 2, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here it comes. Here he's launching into the gospel. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence." Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continued daily with one accord in the temple And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those 
who were being saved. Lengthy passage, but you hear the focus. What Jesus did, why he came, who he was, the, the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ. He came, he died, he was resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Belief in him will save us. It's the message of the gospel. It's the crux of the church from the moment the, the, the proverbial doors of the church were opened. And it's also why it will be the last message preached as human history draws to a close. Because being preached, even, you know, when you think about this, it'll even be preached by an angel who will be sent specifically by God to bring this message to the world one final time. One final opportunity for mankind to hear and to respond to, to this great good news of the gospel which saves before eternal judgment consumes them. Listen, Revelation chapter 14 describes this final preaching of the gospel. Revelation 14, beginning in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. From the very beginning of the church, to the very end of it all, the gospel will be preached. And I would argue since the very fall in the garden, the gospel was already being preached. Although they didn't know Jesus by name yet, they didn't know who he was or how this would all be worked out, but they knew because it was given to them in the garden from the very moment that Adam and Eve fell in sin and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, which is what man does, tries to cover his or her sins with their good works, with all of this other stuff, but it never really covers. And God says that that wasn't sufficient. And what he did instead is he went and he killed one of the animals in the garden and gave them skins and covered them, a sacrifice that was made pointing to Jesus. And then in Genesis 3.15, the promise of, of one day, the work that he would do on their behalf for mankind's sin, all given. And all of the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, the law, it was all pointing to Jesus, the law given so that we would realize that we could not attain righteousness on our own, that we couldn't do it. We can't even keep 10 simple commandments. We can't do it as righteously as God demands. And throughout, the prophets are speaking and foreshadowing and pointing to the coming Messiah. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse -verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.